So, odds are that that I'll offend somebody with my opening illustration is pretty high. So go ahead and get your get your napkin out. Um, I I oh wait, and then I just I said, hey Sharon, you'll be one of them. Just wait. I I watch the news only for big weather events. It's about the only time I watch, at least the weather. And I, I don't care how many hurricanes ever hit the coast of North Carolina, they will never get me to pity someone standing outside of a $2 million home talking about a hurricane. It just won't work. It will not work. You know, um, they haven't been recording the daily weather for a long time, less than 200 years. But sailors from as many as 400 years ago, they look back and they say, Hurricanes seem to come through here. You go back 1,000 years ago off the west coast of Africa, and they'll tell you there's a long history of hurricanes starting there, and they, they didn't know where they went, out into the ocean. And uh, there are images from natives in, like, the Bahamas that are hundreds of years old that report some kind of strong wind blowing into the Bahamas. And so when we get thousands upon thousands of people building homes out on the coast, and then we get a hurricane, and the news is down there talking to the homeowners, I generally respond something like this. Duh. Y'all knew that was coming. And, and if you, you even look at pictures from, say, the 1950s, there's not many houses on the coast. You know why? Because before 1950, we were smarter. Maybe it's the preservatives and all the chicken we're eating. I don't really know. <laughs> but just in the last 70 years, they really commercialized the coast. Five, four, five hurricanes every year. Several tropical storms hit the area. And they, they, first off, they report it like it's the newest news ever. A hurricane lands in Wilmington, North Carolina. Meanwhile, I'm over here going, I guess my uncle's living room is flooded again. Because it does every time. And, you know, they're, they're, they're tracking the storm. Well, it's been coming from Africa now for as long as we've been watching them. There's no need to track it. It's coming. Is it not making sense to anybody? Maybe if I say it like this. Listen to this very incisive quote from A.W. Pink. This doesn't have anything to do with hurricanes. When the sun is shining in all its beauty... Who are the ones unconscious of the fact? Who need to be told it's shining? The blind. How tragic then when we read that God sent John to bear witness to the light. How pathetic that there should be any need of this. How solemn the statement that men have been told the light is now in their midst. What a revelation of man's fallen condition. To me, to me, it's as sensible as the sun in the sky that God is in our midst. It's that sensible. If you walk out in the noonday sun, and if there's nothing preventing it, if there's no clouds, if, if you haven't lost your sight, if, if you haven't intentionally closed your eyes, if someone has not captured you and blindfolded you, you cannot avoid the sun. No more can we even stand in the midst of of an atmosphere and breathe oxygen and miss the living God. A.W. Pink's contention is 
that men are so blinded. It is a pathetic yet pinpoint accurate statement that our condition is so fallen that God himself could stand in our midst and we would reject and crucify him. The flip side of this, how glorious is the story of one who was blind and now they can see. That's my story. I used God's wonderful creation for my every whim for 25 years of my life. And when I finally had sight to see him in its midst, first, first I was broken in shame. And then I was lifted in redemption. Remember last week, as we looked at John 20, verses 30 and 31, we've already established the purpose for the entire gospel according to John. It is that we might find life in Christ. And here is the contention of the gospel writer John, of John the Baptist, of A.W. Pink, and of myself. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. My prayer for the coming weeks is that the scales would be peeled off, the shades would be jerked up, the curtains would be yanked back, that the wall would be broken down, and more than ever, East Rock Community Church would see. And out of this seeing would flow a life of doxology. Join with me as we read the first 18 verses of John chapter number 1. Beginning at verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of uh, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Father, indeed, we humbly ask you to give us sight, and for we who see, sharpen our vision, that we may behold him who is worthy of our worship, and that we may indeed live lives 
of praise, of doxology, of service and joy. Help us to live in the light as he is in the light. In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. This is a, I don't, I don't know, you know, I can look at this passage and I'll nearly run out of adjectives and superlatives if I just to begin to describe how powerful, how wonderful this passage is. It's actually a summation of the entire book. It introduces all sorts of themes that come up again and again and again. The identity of the word, uh, his life, that he is light, that he gives and has the power of regeneration, that he is grace and shows grace. He is truth and tells truth. He is power and works in power, that he is revelation and grants revelation, that he is God, the son, the son of man, that he is from heaven and he is for mankind. These themes come up over and over again and all that's packed into these 18 verses. It is indeed a powerful prologue. What could we say of this prologue? Let me say two quick things about it as a whole. Well, first is this. It's the before story so that we'll see the whole story as we look through the story. Look for these elements over and over again in John. Look for them. Look for all of these things I just said, and there's more. That's just the general big ideas. Look, look for his identity. Look for life. Look for light. Look for knowledge. Look for grace. Look for truth. Look at his power. Look at his heavenly character. And secondly, let me say this about it. As you read the story, this becomes a wonderful, um, I think you call it like a tuning fork. Is that what it's called, Andrew? You know, if you want to make sure you got the right note, am I reading John right? Or are you discovering these things? Just hold this passage up. Am I seeing these things? Am I seeing Jesus presenting himself? Am I seeing him revealing himself as God? Am I seeing people reject him? I'm on the right track. Am I seeing people receive him? I'm on the right track. That's the way this prologue works. I don't know of a book in the Bible other than I might say the the book of, of, of the Proverbs, who gives a more clear introduction about everything you're getting ready to see. Maybe, maybe Psalms with it, if Psalm 1 was ever meant to be an introduction. I don't think it was, but it's that clear. What's my point? If you want to get a grasp on this book, get a grasp on this passage. Fair enough? So this is how you look at it. Now, what's the point of it? We hit that last week. It's so that you might know Jesus and have life. But there's seven big ideas in this prologue that I want to share a couple of thoughts each with you tonight. The first one is this, the pre-existence of the word, the pre-existence of the word. Now, I was being silly in the opening. I, I was also being serious. I'm not going to cry for a millionaire's beach home. I will cry for the people who own single wives. <laughs> or maybe not. But there's, <laughs> there's, some, there's some idea here, right? Before those houses ever were, those hurricanes were. Preexistence becomes a really important factor in responding to God, into receiving what Jesus is saying. Before all this was, he was. And that's a critical step in looking at all of this. You know, one of my favorite moments in all the scriptures is when Peter comes up to Jesus and basically says, hey, Jesus, stop talking about all this dying stuff. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. 
you know, as if Peter could inform Jesus of anything. It's actually the other way around. And so when, when we see Jesus speaking on things, he's not speaking on them as one that's uninformed. Before any of this was, he was. He's speaking expertly as one who has been since before it was. But there's something that's even more important in these first couple of verses. There's this, there's this big idea being given to both the Greek mind and the Jewish mind. It's that God has always had a word, and that that word is Jesus. In other words, God wants to communicate. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 knocks out any ideas of agnosticism. Agnosticism says, and you, you'll know a lot of people who are agnostics, whether, you, whether they know to call themselves that, right? They are. Agnosticism says, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe I can know him. John says, wait a minute. <laughs> He's always been speaking. That's, that's his nature. His nature is revelatory. His nature is information-driven, you might say, but it's not information so you can store information. It's information so you can respond to personhood. It's so he can be known and known in truth and being known in truth to be worshipped as worthy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I don't know if any of you guys have ever picked up a um, Mormon a copy of the false copy of the Scriptures or Jehovah's Witnesses or the Watchtower Society, false copy of the Scriptures, but they incredibly mangle this particular passage. They say he was a God, little g, one among many. You have to mangle the Greek. They say they disentangle the Greek. They actually mangle the Greek. Maybe sometimes I'll give you guys a super nerdy, I'll make a super nerdy video on this for y'all and, and then, you know, spend hours and hours studying and preparing and filming it and I'll get those six views and, and uh, I'll be affirmed. <laughs> That's right. Woo, six views. My point here is, the Bible says what it says. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what does it mean? It means this. There's a being, and he makes himself known as the Word. And this being is God, and he's eternal. Before anything ever could be measured as something, he was before that. And he is God, and and he always has been, and before anything in the cosmos ever was, God was. And at the same time, not everything in the cosmos can explain him. He is beyond material explanation because he was before material is. So as much as science can tell us a lot of things, guess what? All the scientists piled together don't know anything next to what this God knows. He made the things we're discovering. Like, they're, they freaked out. Recently, I was reading a thing. I was watching a video and reading an article about the thing on Mars. What do you call that thing, Steve? The little rover. Okay, yeah. Well, they're rovering. Like, uh, you know, I started having this weird thing. It's like, oh, man, everybody's freaking out at red dirt. Go to McGee's Meal. You can get it out of all of that you want. Takes about $3 worth of gas to get over at the most. How many billions have we spent to put a little car on Mars? Why? Because we're marveling at this thing. Rightly so, I would say, to marvel at this. Amen. This, I mean, I can't even get over flower petals. My whole life I've been staring at flower petals and cannot get over them. True story. 
I love staring at dragonflies. But the problem would be that we would see all of this and miss the greater beauty. We would see the things that bowl us over in their magnificence and miss the one who made them by the word of his power. So what this is really about is the one who has always been has stepped into what he has made so that what he has made will stop marveling in what he has made as much, if not more, than they marvel in the maker. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It also speaks to the work and nature, and, and I would add, since I've made this outline, the purpose of the word. Verse 3 tells us something really critical. He, you know, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We're not going to turn there. Don't worry. But if you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, everything is made by him, and everything is made for him. By him and for him. If you've ever got a hold of anything and you don't know, you know, how it can bring glory to God, or if you discover it can't bring glory to God, put it down. Because it's all supposed to be by him and for him. You know, we all want, as a matter of fact, Kelly, this week I saw you trying to get Ellie to say mama. And she did. She did great. Um, but it was like Ellie was playing and, 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 you know, and Kelly was playing. They just weren't playing the same game. Ellie was playing toys. Kelly was playing say mama. And Ellie was just like, you know, it was like this, mama, now leave me alone, you know. <laughs> and I just thought... I just thought for a little bit, you know, what's the first thing a little child learns? Mama. What's the second thing they usually learn? No. What's the third thing? No, it's mine. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's wild. It's in that's in there, but it's definitely mine is somewhere. Mine. Mine. And then what do we do the rest of our life except scramble like toddlers? Mine, mine, gimme. You ever notice how with little kids, nothing is interesting until someone else is holding it? Like, you know, they hadn't even thought about that toy in a week. Their friend comes over, picks it up, and now they're arguing over it. You know, that, that's the way broken, brokenness works. What Jesus reveals to us is that all this is really about him. And if it's not leading us to him, it's distracting us from him. That's why even the most inane, innocuous things can become idols. But of his work and of his nature, we see in verses 4 and 5 that he came to shine. He came to give life because he is light and he is life. And no matter what the world, and we'll see in John exactly what the world does to God when he walks among us, they don't overcome him. Even when, you, when the world does its worst, it does not overcome him. Can't overcome him. He's the light of men and men love darkness. Uh, when I was in high school, I worked third shift at a uh, textile mill. I rolled cloth. Uh, it was a place that made shams and pillowcases and curtains and things like that. And, and I had to go in at 10.50 every night. And I had this boss man that liked to make little notes. And he would go by right before you got there and he would tape them to your control panel or you know somewhere he knew you had to put your hands on to see it. And uh, I had a joke. I would, I would go up and do like this and feel around and find the note and ball it up. And he'd say, did you see my note? I could say, no, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I did not see your note. <laughs> well, it got to be, uh, you know, a better side of that joke is 
he would put it in my hand. And he'd say, I have, a, I have one for you. And he, he'd stick it out, and I'd go, sure, I'll take it. You know, I'd close my eyes. And as soon as he put it in my hand, I'd ball it up. And this was all good nature stuff. But then he got a place where he would stick it to my chest. Did you get it now? No, I didn't, you know. In other words, no matter what he thought that was clever to get me to pay attention to it, I found a way to totally ignore it. That was my goal, to ignore my boss while I was at work. God comes down and gets in our face. He gets in the face of, of Israel, gets in the face of the world. And if we could just understand his goal, his goal, life comes so that we can have light, life. Light comes so that we can see. And that's what Jesus is going to be doing all through the book of John. Thirdly, the prologue tells us about the forerunner of the word. If you look at verses 6 through 8 again, very quickly, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. In this case, John, the gospel writer, is talking about John the Baptist. Now, I absolutely love John the Baptist. The, the, I don't know, the older I get, the deeper I get into theology, the more he becomes one of my heroes. Number one, he, he was a cool dude. I mean, he, he had his own style. He had a weird diet. He would be considered a social media guru today, I'm telling you. But what I loved about John is, is I, I've never seen anybody in Scripture spoken of more highly than John among just ordinary people. Of John, Jesus said, there's not a man ever been born of the womb of a woman that is better than John. Now, could you imagine a better compliment? That's incredible. And then John, John, having been rightly assessed by Jesus, John rightly assesses himself. Now, now don't get this. Jesus said, I mean, don't miss this. Jesus said, this is the best man ever. Like, wait, let me just pause. How many of you guys actually like basketball? It's okay if you don't. How many like basketball? Now, I saw, like, easily I see like a dozen hands. One of, the, one of the ways I can drive young guys nuts is I'll just bring up the conversation, who's the GOAT, who's the greatest of all time? And you're going to get an argument. You, I mean, you know, some guys are going to say LeBron, uh, Michael Jordan. I always bring up Bill Russell, right? Jesus just said the GOAT of people GOATs of all time, the greatest of all time is John. And John said, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandal. Just think about how important his testimony is. He stands not in the face, not rebelling in the face of authority. He stands in holiness in the face of brokenness and tells everybody, every religious leader, every poor person, everybody, y'all get ready. Jesus is coming. The one is coming. The Messiah is coming. His testimony is critical. And he says of himself, I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. I'm not the light, but the light is coming. I'm not the one, but the one is coming. I'm not the life, but life is coming. He prepares the way of the Lord. And he doesn't do it in a vacuum. My opening illustration is silly, okay? It's silly. But no one, no one. Nobody should be surprised if a reporter from Raleigh drives a van down to Wimbledon and says, guys, guess what? A hurricane's coming. If you're from North Carolina, if you've been raised here, we go, okay. We know. 
is coming. That should have been the stock reaction of Israel. John should have stood there and say, the one is coming. The Messiah is coming. We know. If anybody knows, we, if anybody knows that a hurricane coming, if you're from Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Delaware, Maryland, you know a hurricane's coming. Somebody say amen. We are people most informed. <laughs> and, and, and think about it now. Y'all ready? That things start in Africa. And we get to walk them, watch them walk. They name them. Hurricane Donna. And Donna's like, I'm coming. I'm going to smack you with my purse. Charleston, <laughs> Wilmington. <laughs> it's not like you wake up on a Tuesday morning. At 9 o'clock, a hurricane's coming. We're Kansas. Yeah, if a hurricane, if a hurricane, I mean, yeah, if a hurricane lands in Kansas, y'all Kansas people, where's Tammy? Y'all got reason to freak out. I mean, really. But even if you're like from Samaria, if you're from the Appalachians, you know, you got, remember that one, what was it, Hazel in the 50s come up through the mountains, destroyed the mountains, I think it was. I'm sure somebody in here remembers it. Barbara, was that? <laughs> Barbara's like, yes, testify. And this is what he said. So light, life comes to the very place where it has been tracking to for centuries. And they're like, really? It's light and life? The one that's come? Earlier today, no joke, you can't make your stuff up. I listen to these history documentaries. I'm listening to one, and the guy on the documentary, so, you know, just the audio thing, he keeps saying Adolf Hitler's name like this, like just like And Hitler, anybody who is saying Hitler's name like Hitler, Hitler sent his forces into the Ural Mountains. I could not take it serious. I had to cut it off. I, I just like, okay, I cannot. Hitler... What's my point? John is saying, people get ready. And what happens? They weren't ready. That's what verses 9 through 11 tell us. There was a rejection of the word. If you notice that, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made. And they just didn't, hey, they didn't know him. They didn't know him. They had all the evidence, all the prophecies. They had them, and they didn't know him. But let's don't linger there long. Let's don't. There was also those that experienced, they received the word, and they received the results of receiving. Uh, any, 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 I ought to know this, but I don't. Besides Peyton, I know. Any other volunteer firemen in the room? Anybody? Uh, Peyton, have you yet to see somebody lose control of one of those hoses, those big hoses? Yeah. You have. You say you have. Yeah, I had like this, I mean, literally this much fire training in the Army, and uh, we were taking turns, and they wanted us to feel the force of the hose, you know? And um, one guy lost it. You know, he was supposed to be on it, like literally straddling it. I don't know. Don't correct me. I don't know anything about firemaning or womaning. And he's supposed to be on it. 
And right when they hit the pressure, he steps off of it. It's like a bad timing, and the thing shoots out of his hand, and uh, he just gets down, like you know, which is what you do when people are shooting. This is not what you do when a hose is going nuts. And the guy who was on the thing, I, to this day, I don't know why he didn't just hit, cut the thing off, but he didn't. So another guy is going to go in and rescue him. And that dude runs out, he's going to grab this hose, and that hose went just like this, and he looked like somebody thumping the king down in chess or, the, or whatever they do. He was like, he was like, <laughs> and he was just, and at that point, I'm just laughing. Then it occurred to the guy on the handle, to, and he just cut, <laughs> Anything, you know, it's, and, you know, I'm standing far enough back that, you know, I'm just laughing. One of my friends says, we should have done something. I said, we did. We stood right here. I don't know no hole. I've let go of a water hose with enough pressure on it to know I don't need to grab hold to a three-inch water hose, you know. You know, Right? Sometimes, sometimes receiving something is a really dumb idea. Everything causes a reaction. What happens when you receive God, when you receive the light, when you receive the life? Did you guys see it? Look at verse 12. Look at your scriptures. But to all who did receive him, I'll never stop getting excited about this. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Look at what does it say, church? Y'all tell me. What does it say? They got to be God's children. So all these prophecies said, get ready, get ready. They weren't ready. When he came, they weren't ready. But some did receive him, and they were adopted into the family of God. That's the whole point of this book. Don't miss how he does it. The word became flesh. So much I could say about that, but how did he do this? The word became flesh. And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. They looked on him. Even one of the guys who was crucifying him says, oh, my goodness, we've done this to a, to a righteous man. He looked at him for one short afternoon. He says, we've done this to a righteous man. As these people beheld him, as they saw who he was, they experienced his wisdom that could only be from heaven. They watched his works that could only be from heaven. That They experienced his words and truth and they said, that can only be from heaven. They beheld him and they said, oh my goodness, God is in our midst. That's the point of the Gospel of John. And then what happens naturally out of experiencing him is... They begin bearing witness to God's new order. That's what John does. John bore witness, and he says, hey, the one that comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. In other words, he existed before, beyond this natural realm. And then, once we receive grace upon grace, wow, how can we not share how can we not become witnesses? So those who reject him, they dismiss him. Those who receive him, they behold him. Those who experience him, they must share him. One of my favorite, and we got weeks and weeks before we get to it, but John 6. Jesus is giving this really tough teaching. And, and it doesn't tell you the tone, but it's like I can feel the tone. 
And he says a lot of people stopped following Jesus. Yeah, he, he says a really crazy thing. Yeah, he does. Andrew's, Andrew's tracking with me. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And a lot of people go, uh-uh. I don't even eat potted meat. I know I ain't thinking to do that. Yeah, they wanted potluck. Just give us casseroles. And the Bible says in John 6, a lot of people stop, stop following him, right? He turns to his closest followers and says, are you guys going to leave too? Peter, God bless him. He's like, we ain't got nowhere else to go. <laughs> I mean, it's like, we've looked around. <laughs> we've considered our options. You're it. Why? Because they had seen him for what he was. And they said, wow, this is going to be a rough ride with him here. But he's light and he's life. And now we're just going to bear witness. Maybe even reluctantly. <laughs> Maybe even reluctantly. All these themes and way, way more. I've, I just noticed the time. No apologies, but I will quicken it. All these themes and more. I am so literally excited beyond my ability to express it for our family getting ready to go through John together. Why? Because the prologue says all of these chapters are about these things. The epilogue or, or the purpose of the book found toward the end, not quite in the epilogue, says this is so you'll know the Son of God and you'll have life. Amen? And then the epilogue says this is going to be great. That's the, that's the sort of the, you know, the wrap-up of the epilogue. What, what happens in the epilogue, John 21? Uh, his most outrageous follower gets this outrageous forgiveness and just gets sent out to live this really wild life of bearing witness. You know, and I'm so excited. We've been invited front row to the gospel according to John to meet Jesus in a fresh way. Why? Because he wants us to have life. As I said before, I'll never get over. I'll never get over John 112. I don't know if you guys know it, but I quote it all the time at the end of services. Has anybody ever noticed that? Believe on him and receive him. Believe on that name and receive him. You'll be given the right to be the children of God. See, we have this notion that everybody's a child of God. John 112 just says, no. Who has the right to be the children of God? Those who have believed on that name and have received him. Now, what are you then if you're not a child of God? You're a creature of God. Somebody say amen. And if you're a creature of God, hey, guess what? Your life matters. What's God doing? God is wanting to move you from just creature status to child status. How does he do that? He reveals to you Jesus. He yanks up the shades rips off the scales, peels back the curtain, tears down the wall. Because he wants you to see Jesus so you can have life. Do you know him today? If he's been revealed to you, are you bearing witness? That'll be a huge sign for you. If you know him, you bear witness. Do you know him today? I've been praying. I'm going to keep praying that we see him clearly, and that he gives the blind sight, and he gives the sight more sight. Let's pray. God, thank you for this beginning. Thank you that 
you took on flesh and stepped into our reality. And we can look through the Old Testament. We can look at nature itself and see that this just flat out makes sense. Now, Father, I pray in the coming weeks and months and maybe even today that you peel back the scales from our eyes and cause us to see Jesus, to see him in truth, and then upon seeing him to receive him, and upon receiving him to bear witness. Cause us to see these things in lovely and true and beautiful and frank ways over the next few months. Open our eyes to see Jesus. Loose our tongues to praise him. Now, God, once again, lead us in worship. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.